You are listening to Hands at Work Audio. In April of 2016, we're going deeper on the subject of giving with George Snaven. What do we believe? <coughs> and why do we believe it? And if we say we believe it, how do we live it out? Because, you know, the saying, I can't hear you talk because of the way you walk. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the new generation in the world that the offsprings of the baby boomers and after them and how disillusioned they are with what's happening in the world. And we see it everywhere, even just in the news in the last week, not just in our own country where corruption is now so exposed. You know, the very people that say they stand for the poor are the very people that steal the poorest money. But it's not just in our country. It's also all over the world. And so we saw this week how they've dis- um, discovered millions of documents to prove how the richest people in the world are stealing money from the poor and they go and hide it in, in secret accounts, like in Panama. And so the young generation are so disillusioned. And we're going to just talk about this morning, I think is a very relevant topic to remind ourselves a little bit. We're going to talk about giving. And when we talk about giving, we really have to bring giving and stewardship together because they belong together. But all of us know that giving is a, it's a backbone, it's a core thing in hands at work. For us to understand giving, I'm just going to take you for a moment outside Africa and I'm going to talk about the church in the United States. But let me just explain to you before I talk about them. I'm going to talk about them because at least they've got the courage to do proper research and be honest. And so their statistics is available. If anything, I think it's much worse in other developed countries. Okay, so I'm not talking here about the United States because I think they um, are worse than anybody else. I think, in fact, most properly, their church is still the most generous church in the world. And so, but I want to give you an example because there's such deep research that was done in this. And I just want to tell you that if you look at the last century, the last hundred years, the people that give to the church, both to to run their church, you know, money to pay the pastor and to pay the lights and so on, and people that give money to the poor. That number has drastically dropped. Drastically. Now, now remember, with that, there's a huge drop in people going to church. And I think it's very important for us to understand it. If we purely speak from a financial point of view, and you look at organizations like Hands at Work, that put all our eggs in the basket of the church, because we believe in the church, then we really need to understand how important it is for us to get the giving part right, with integrity. Because I tell you that the millennium generation can see through everything. They research, they dig, they check, they're suspicious. But the one amazing thing about them is when they find the real thing, they'll pursue it with everything they have. Because the real thing is so scarce these days. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? So I want to just tell you a little bit about the American church. So for example, in the last century, people, the way people give it went right down. That if you take the, the money that came in a hundred years ago in America and you divide it among the Christians, it was, they paid about 4% of what they earned. 4% of their money would go to the church and to missions. Today, it's less than 2%. So we see that the money was halved, and in fact today it's the lowest ever, and it's about where it was when the Great Depression. In a Great Depression, when the whole world was in a deep economical crisis. Now, where we are richer than we've ever, ever been in history, we give the same as the Christians did when they had nothing when there were millions of people without work. And that gives you an idea, and we need to understand that, because there must be reasons why that's happening. But there's another very interesting thing. And that is that they say that the way Christians give is very out of proportion. In other words, 15% of Christians give 80% of the money that goes to the church, missions, and the poor. Do you understand what I'm saying? 15% of the people give 80% of the money. 20% of Christians today, 20% give nothing, not a cent. 20%. Isn't that incredible? It is incredible, which we will see later, because giving as a Christian has got deep, deep significance, spiritual significance. And so if 20% of believers don't give anything, it's not just about the giving. You understand that? It's about, it's about the fact that they are not giving and what it actually means. Now, in, just to give you an idea how far it's going, in 2011, the biggest denomination, I think, among the evangelical Christians in North America, the Southern Baptist Convention, came together. And their president, 2011, it was yesterday, their president said the following. He said, there's no doubt that the number one idol, you know what the idol is? Something you worship, that's not God, it's your God, Right? The number one idol among Christians is materialism. Then he continues to say, and I want to quote him for you. He shows that only two and a half cent out of every dollar, only two and a half cents, go to missions and to the poor. And then he quote, I quote him and he says this. What it clearly says to all of us, no matter how much our people profess they love Jesus, they love money more. For there is no way that when a person is continuing to steal from God, that they can claim to love Jesus Christ. Now at the same time, in 2009, the World Food Summit, the people uh, that look at the world and say, where are people hungry? 
And how much will it cost to look after them? Those who really suffer, those who really, where the villages where we work, how much will it cost to look after them with food? In 2009, they came together in Rome, same time where all of this is happening. And they said that for $24 billion a year, nobody needs to die of hunger. <laughs> now, I will try to put that in perspective to say to you that that is less than people in America pay to buy perfume or to feed their dogs. Their dogs. It's a fraction of the money that goes in a church. Remember the church gives two and a half cents for every dollar. Not for every dollar, for every dollar that Christians give. Do you understand how little that is? So remember, 20% don't even give. And then only 15% give 80%. And out of that 15% that give 80%, only two and a half cents go to poor and emissions. But we spend, in North America, they spend trillions on dog food and on perfume. Both of them is good. I don't mind people not smelling, and I like dogs to have food, but I'm putting it in perspective here. So it is, it's a known fact, okay, among churches, it's a known fact that the church can today, without anybody going without work, without anybody really being upset and not having a microwave or a cell phone, the church can prevent anybody dying of hunger in the world today. We, the church, not circular world, not the governments, not businesses, just the money that lands in the church. Just that money. We can take enough money and let nobody die of hunger and no church will suffer. That's a conclusion that was made now. And yet, today children will die of hunger. Isn't that incredible? Now, when we speak, let me just put a little footnote here. When we speak about a church like in North America, let me just say, in Africa, we are a million times worse. You know what I'm speaking about. In Africa, we hold like this. We do not know how to give. We do not. Maybe the grannies in the villages, they know how to give. But we, our pastors, our churches, we do not know how to give. So I, I want to emphasize, I'm not picking on people outside Africa either. I'm just giving you statistics to help you to understand the, better, the bigger picture. So, so what are reasons why, why this is happening? Just imagine for a moment... If from next year, the church worldwide decide that nobody's going to die of hunger on our watch, and we go into Somalia, we go into the Central African Republic, we go into this Syria, we go into Syria, just imagine the testimony and the impact that this will have in the world when the church say, we'll pick up the ball. Just think how do you argue with somebody about their God if they practically live it out at the extent like that? 
It's at our fingertips. We've got conferences. People write books. We discuss the 2040 window. Where do we still need to reach unreached people? But it will never happen until we rediscover why God gave us the incredible privilege to give. So there are many reasons why the church is not giving and why many of us are not giving. You know that at the moment, one of the reasons at the moment, and again the U.S. because they're transparent, in the U.S. the church owns $230 billion of assets. $230 billion. One church built a 50 million rand church, which is the average church. And then in the newsletter, they had a headlines when there was an earthquake in Haiti. They had headlines. As a denomination, we have raised $5,000 for the earthquake. Friends, at the very moment they wrote that newsletter, they were busy building a church of 50 million Statistics shows you that at the moment in churches, more and more churches have more and more pastors. There's a pastor for hospitality, there's a pastor for the youth, there's a pastor for children, there's a pastor for old people. And so the costs, everything is becoming more and more inward looking. Now we've only talked churches so far. More Everything happens. It becomes performance-based. In other words, the sound system, the technology, the things that's needed to keep the people happy. But you know, the interesting thing is, the latest statistics is showing with the millennium generation that that is exactly the very things that are driving them out of the churches by the hordes. So we see that more and more money goes into the churches. And in Africa, we can see that that thing is happening a lot now with us also. But there are many other reasons. And I want to now focus more a little bit on us as people. Some of the reasons are people who do actually earn good money, who can significantly give, do not give because they honestly believe they can't give. They really believe it. And it's based on the lifestyle that they choose. It's based on the debt that they have. And it's based on their fear for the future. In other words, I mean, of course I must be able to go there and my children do that sports and go there and I do and my wife and I. Of course, that's life, right? That's, we don't think about it. That's just tick the box. And of course I need to go into debt if I want to live there and I want a car and I want all those things. So the choices we make, we actually honestly think. We can even stand before God and say, but Lord, I can't give. I mean, just look, I don't, I don't make it myself as it is. We don't have the ability anymore to really discern our lifestyles and what we do with our things. Other people genuinely have never heard this message and they don't understand the centrality of giving in a gospel. So they've never heard anybody saying to them, except Pastor Dollar and, and gang, that tell you give so that you can get a million dollar back. Except that lies, that false gospel, people have never heard 
how central and how crucial and how important giving is part of our lives as believers. Remember, the earliest church always said, the early church was promiscuous in giving away and helping and serving. And they were, what's the opposite of that? When it comes to sharing their bodies with other people, sexual immorality. We've just turned the whole thing around, haven't we? Isn't that incredible? That was a testimony of the first church. You know, the youngest church that they wrote about, and Josephus, the historian, wrote about it, and he said that the, um, the, one of the empires, Julius, said, he said this about the Christians. He said, those, and he swore, he said, those terrible people from that sect, they call us a sect, who drink blood because we took Holy Communion. He said, those terrible people that hide in the walls in the day, they were hiding in the walls of the city because they were crucified if people caught them. He said, that very same people at night when they come out of the holes, the first thing they do before they find food and things for themselves, they tend to the poor and the sick, our poor and sick. The very people that crucified them, at night when the believers climbed out of their holes, the first thing they did, they cared for the poor and the sick. Isn't that incredible? Can't you feel how proud we can be of our, our history? And yet, it got to a place where the biggest denomination president had to say that we lie when we say Jesus, or at least the truth is we don't love him as much as we love our money. Now, then there's other people who've just never been challenged to give. Never like we in hands do. We say a prophetic voice, right? I mean, we invite people to come. We never talk about money and things. But once people see and they want to engage, we turn the screws on, don't we? That money don't go into our pockets. It goes out. But we are unashamedly challenging people. Hands always want to be a challenging voice. Which is beautiful. If that can be seen among us. If that is something that we can do. Otherwise we speak with a forked tongue. So when, if we want to challenge people to, to, to embrace this incredible gift, then surely it must be displaying out of our own lives. And that's why it's so important for us to understand. So, enhance at work. This is what I want to say to you just briefly. Our core value is in giving and good stewardship, okay? But this is very important for us to understand that we have got a biblical theology on this. I don't want to talk big words this morning, but I want to explain something to you. Enhance, if we say we believe in giving and we believe in stewardship, it's not based because people are poor or it's not based on um, what the United Nations say, whatever. It's deeply, deeply embedded in the Bible. So it's very important for each one of us to understand that we've got a biblical theology on giving. What that means is we can take the Bible, each one of us here, must, we must get to that place where we can take the Bible and we can sit and talk to people about giving in different areas of the Bible. So, for example, we can talk about giving according to the law. What did God say to Israel in the law? When you harvest and you come to the corners of your lands, 
don't harvest there. Leave patches everywhere. Because when you finish harvesting, then the widows can come and, and, and pick up enough of them and the orphans. I love that. Isn't that beautiful? It's nearly like we go to the shop and then we buy a lot of things and one trolley we just leave at the door. That's exactly how it was, you know. And you just say, God, and, and imagine enough Christians in White River do that. Just leave a little trolley at the door. And we just say, wherever. Because God say, when you harvest, because the fact that you can harvest means God gave you. He gave you the talents. He gave you the job. He gave you the ability. He gave you the education. So your gratefulness is you, you leave a trolley at the door for somebody. So we've got a theology. It's not just a thing. And, and it's so important for you to understand it because you're going to have to be able to stand on your soapbox anywhere and defend what we stand for. And there's a huge onslaught on that. And it's not coming from outside the church. Let me just say that to you. But if you read what, they, what is happening and you heard what I told you, that's why I gave you the background, then you can understand why there will be a backlash from within the church. Because if this is true, then serious changes need to happen in the church. So we've got a theology that can tell us what the Old Testament say, what the prophets is saying. You know what Isaiah is saying? He said, don't come to me and talk to me. Well, just outside your house, these people without food. Because they don't talk to me. I don't want to hear you. I'm sick of your songs. Pastor who leads the worship, I'm sick of your songs. First go and look after that, then come and talk to me, and I will listen to you. That's what the prophets is saying. You need to understand that. David is saying that. And then Jesus, even John the Baptist, before Jesus, and then Paul. All of this, we need to know as hands, because we have got a theology, why we live and do this. And, and I really want to encourage you to be very proud that we can understand that. It's not because we're clever or strong, but it's because God gave us that insight. He taught us that. And so when I read the Bible... I see it everywhere. It's like, it's just everywhere. But you've got to become fluent in speaking that. So we ask hard questions for ourselves to understand this deeper. We say, for example, does God promise all believers to be rich? <laughs> That's what many people teach, right? If he doesn't, does God have a minimum standard that he wants all of his children to live by? Do you know what I mean? Or does God say, well, some of you are going to die of hunger, um, and some of you will have good, that's fine, and those who die of hunger, die knowing Jesus loves you. Do we believe that theology? If we don't, and we say that we believe that God wants every believer to have enough. Actually, as a family, when we brought our children up, we always prayed, God, give us enough to have and to give away. That's our prayer. So family has always been our prayer. We want to meet our needs and we want to have enough to give away for His glory. I'm going to touch on that just now. But if we say that God wants us, everybody to have a minimum standard. Children must go to school. Uh, people must not go to bed hungry. Girls doesn't put their bodies on a line for food. If that is true, we believe that theology. 
then what, how do we explain that that's not happening out there? Do you understand? So it's important for us to be able to debate these things through. That's what digging deeper is about. I want to stir you up to go deeper and understand. What does your theology say? God doesn't care. God wants everybody to be rich. Or God do believe everybody must have a certain standard they can live by. And then, if that is true, if God gives um, Tommy and Morgan ten times more than any of us, what does God want Tommy and Morgan to do with that money? We've got a theology about that. Do you know that? Does God say, well, Tommy and Morgan, you can go to England three times a year. You can go to private game parks every second weekend. You can buy a new Mac every week because God has blessed you. We know Christian Daytona hasn't been home for four years, but one day they'll have enough faith. So I'm challenging you on this. I'm challenging myself. If Tommy and Morgan has got ten times more than Daytona and Christy, forget about what you feel and what your father and your... I want to ask you, what do you believe the Bible say about that? Have you got a theology on that? If not, you're just something like a dry leaf that gets blown away by the wind. Or you're like an ostrich that puts your head in the ground and you just wanna, don't want to talk about it. I'm not talking about it. I don't want to hear. I'm closing my ears. Can you see where I'm going with this? So it's so important for us to know what do we believe. And if we're honest before God believe it, we will live it. Otherwise, at least have the courage and say, I read in the Bible, but I don't really believe it. I'm not ready to believe it. <laughs> I'm not going to believe it. But we ask these tough questions. And we've got the theology, and we seek God's answers in the Bible. You know, for example, you would know 2 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 8 and 9 is two of the most beautiful, precious chapters where Paul poured his heart out, where he speaks to the Corinthian church, and he speaks about the poor. And just in those two chapters, I just had to look quickly at it, he used words like this. For example, generosity, relief, act of grace. You know, Paul say, to give is an act of grace. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Giving is an act of grace. He said it's a service. It's a contribution. It's a ministry. It's a generous gift. Just in two chapters, Paul expounds this, and he speaks so strong about it. So let me just conclude that thing on a theology to say to you, in hands we believe You've got to hear what I'm saying now. We believe every one of us, everyone, Baba John, Stephen, Kyver, George, Daytona, every one of us has enough or sufficient possessions, money, or goodwill to give something to those less fortunate. Did you hear what I say? Every one of us, Betwell, Vusi, Sharisa, Herman, in hands at work, we believe every one of you have got something to give. We also believe that when you do not give, you dry up. 
And when I walked through Israel, that was one of the things that struck me the most. I went to the Dead Sea. And I stood in the Dead Sea. You know, it's called the Dead Sea because it's dead. <laughs> There's not even microscopic life in there. There's nothing. It's dead. Guys, it's dead. You know that there's a river flowing into it and there's nothing flowing out and it's dead. Scientists say this. I can't confirm it because I'm not a scientist. My teacher will tell you that. Scientists said that if the Dead Sea, but it's very low, that's why it's not that, but if a Dead Sea could have an outflow in a very short time, life will come back. And I say this often to my Afri African brothers, and I'm saying it very gently and carefully. But I'm saying to us, we have got that curse of poverty many times, not always. But if we are introspective, if we look at ourselves, we've got that curse of poverty over us because we've got a mentality that we want, want, want. But God forbid I must give anybody anything. And I want to tell you, you will die poor, your children will die poor, their children will die poor. I believe a developed world is riding at the moment on a wave of previous generations. But if you look at those generations, they were always very generous. Always. There's a law in giving. In Isaiah it says, when you cast your bread on the water, after many days you will find it again. Giving is not for few people who are rich. Because rich is like poor. It, it's relative. Nobody ever thinks they're rich. Do you know that? You might think I'm rich. I might think Morgan is rich. Morgan might think Kelly is rich. You know what? All of us would say, no, we're not rich. We all struggle. So we believe in hands that everyone has got something to give. Reaching out, and I want to quickly just touch on this. God has given us a great commandment and a great commission, right? A great commandment is to love God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. We say you can't have the one without the other. They must go together. John say, how can you say you love God and you don't love your neighbor? You see your neighbor suffer. John speaks very strong. He said, you're a liar. Guys, listen. He said, you're a liar. It's not true. You do not love God. If you love God, you will not walk past somebody that suffers. Now, often in hands, we, when we think, we think about the granny. I think of Gogo Esther and Honda Valley. Yes, it's true. But you know, today in our midst, there can be deep needs. Yeah, in hands. Not just materialistically, friendship, spiritually. So, so meeting, loving your neighbor is evangelizing your neighbor. It is. It is encouraging your neighbor, edifying your neighbor, correcting your neighbor. That's loving. Do you know that? I want to encourage you. If somebody corrects you, they don't do it because they like looking for trouble. Nobody pick a fight. If somebody's got the courage to you to correct you, it's because deep inside there's some love for you. But it also means we care for each other's practical needs. 
So in hands, we always believe under the ground, under current, there's an economy flowing. I have seen it many times. I must be honest with you, I do believe that 15% doing the 80%, I do believe that some of that is true in hands also. So I'm asking you, how much are you part of that undercurrent economy in hands? Do you know what I mean by undercurrent? You can't see it. It's not like I'm going to say, yeah, this morning, Carolyn and I am very grateful to, to say that we are going to give Catherine 200 rand this week. Catherine, we're going to give it. We, we don't believe, obviously we don't do it like that. So Catherine will wake up with a little envelope under her bed. And it will say, we love you. And she'll open it, it will be 200 rand. Or a verse, or a prayer, or a, a, a little biscuit that you've baked. Or a, can I come and have coffee with you? You look down. All of that is the same. For many of us, the coffee or the biscuit will give more comfort than the money. But those who've got money don't hide behind that. Do you understand what I'm saying? But everyone, and I want to tell you, in the 21 years that I've been involved in this, the people that encouraged me the most is the people that I didn't expect it from. So, so Dan, I expect Dan to encourage me. Do you understand? He's an elder. He's a leader. Dan, Dan, watch over me. I expect him to do that. And I appreciate it. I really do. This morning he encouraged me, earlier this morning. He said, I'm praying for you for today. And I really appreciate Dan. But it's kind of, God, that's why you gave him to me. <laughs> Do you understand? But, but sometimes people completely unexpectedly, that I don't think it's not their job, they just walk up to me. There's a brother here, sitting here this morning. You will never believe it. But that brother, he comes to me now and then, and then he just quietly touched me, and, and he speaks words of encouragement into my life. And when he does it, I tell you, I go to Carol and I say, I feel like I was injected with, with uh, steroids. That that man will come and say, you know, and, and in the world's eyes, he might be an insignificant man. In my eyes, it's incredible that he took time to encourage me. Every one of us can be part of helping each other. Giving, giving, giving. Now, we're running out of time, I guess. But I want to just say to you, giving and love cannot be separated. Okay? So giving and love goes together. That's why John said, don't tell me you love God, but you don't give. You are a liar. Then for a moment, if we just stop still and we consider we were poor, naked, lying in a field, lost, totally forsaken, and somebody saw and he gave everything for us. It is hard for us to comprehend that, to understand. In 1 Samuel 2.8 it says, He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap and makes them sit with nobles. Do you believe that? Do I believe that? In 2 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 6.20 say, For you have been bought with a price. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. What does that mean? Do the same. Give. Love. I want to tell you one of the biggest challenges we have. Why we can't give so freely. We are middle class grace receivers. It means 
you secretly believe, of course I'm saved. I went to Sunday school. I've never cheated on Carolyn. I, I'm even doing missions. Of course I'm saved. Of course God's grace is on me. Because we think like that, it's very hard for us to give sacrificially. Because we actually secretly believe we deserve it. And friends, that's why I want to get everybody out in the field constantly. Because it's only when you are confronted with that grandmother, that child, that orphan, that widow, and you look at it and you say, why can Carolyn be at home tonight with having a, a, a mother, a, a daughter, children, grandchildren, a house, food, everything. Why is she so blessed? And she's my wife. And why is this woman sitting with 10 orphans, no food, no security? Why? Why? Is it because Carolyn is clever? Is it because Carolyn has been good that God is honoring her? Or is it just because where Carolyn was born, when she was born, who educated her? We flipped the coin 20 times and it fell on heads for Carolyn 20 times. If it fell on tails, she would have been the widow. If it fell on tails, she would have been the orphan. If it fell on tails, she would have married the guy that abused her and knocked the daylight out of her children. It, was, it just fell on heads, 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 heads. For God's sake, when are you going to become grateful for that coin falling on heads a million times for you? Can you see how deep this thing goes? Can you see how deeply painful it must be to God when we are selfish? After he gives us that hits, 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 and we're still selfish. And we justify it. We justify it. I, Jack is my daughter. And I asked Jackie, she must study this whole afternoon because she's writing exams tomorrow. I walk away and Carolyn come and say to Jackie, let's go and play. Don't worry about the studying now, man. Let's have fun. You can. You're a child. You can't play. And Jackie goes and play. Or Jackie makes a choice and say, no, I won't go and play now. I'm going to study now because I know my dad will allow me to play when the exams is finished. Do you understand? Delayed gratification. Now, as Christians, in hands at work, we believe in delayed gratification. In other words, Daytona could have had a video company, maybe in Canada, and he could have done board, board what do you call it? Snowboarding and whatever. <laughs> he could have chosen all that things. It's even his right, and it's his way he was born. But, but Daytona choose not to do that now. Maybe I could have had another job, but I choose not to have another job now. I choose to do this because I believe in something better later on. I believe that there's another kingdom coming. They said God is going to bring another dispensation. There's another government coming. And when that comes, it's going to be my time. So I choose now where Jackie would have chosen to study, I choose now to say no 
for having all the things. I choose now to say no for being secure and not allow other people in my life. I choose now to say I'm going to spread myself thin. I'm going to do things because I believe later on something better is coming. Now, people that don't believe in delayed gratification, they will never embrace our message. Because at the end of the day, like the rich young man, they will walk away sad. Because they have got so many choices. And they are not prepared to defer those choices and to say, no, I know something better will come later. And this is a major thing. And so I want to close with this the newest generation, that 58% of them are now, that used to go to church are not going to church anymore. After they turn 15, most of them, they walk out. They're not going back to church. We target them unashamedly. We target them because we don't want to lose them. We target them not because we want to get something out of them, but we target them because we, we want a next generation to be healthy. We want the Church of Christ to grow, not to decline. And the only way the Church of Christ can grow is that we must get out of the curse of materialism. We must get away from the thing that's it's me, mine, and more. Because the millennium generation, yeah, yes, a fact, listen to this, the millennium generation is a gener- their parents produced the most broken families in man's history. Did you know that? Did you know that? 55% plus divorce rate. Both parents worked till nine o'clock at night. All of that stuff. They grew up in broken families. And that's why they leave the churches. Because they don't find the answers in the churches. Because the churches say, come and have lights. And, and that's exactly what their parents and everybody did. And that's why they're so broken. They know it's not the answer. They're looking for something authentic. And authenticity comes with sacrifice. As hard as it sounds, the very message of Jesus saying, I want you to turn away from everything. Pick up your cross and follow me. As much as a previous generation didn't want to preach it, they are now harvesting death and empty churches. When you dare to preach it, and you bring people in, and they experience incredible joy when they cross that threshold of giving, and they learn that they, they learn that even though they might look poor and, and not very talented, if they give, they can change people's lives. They get addicted to that. They say, this is worth living and dying for. Thank you for joining us. www.handsatwork.org